Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, good morning. It's lovely to be with you. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Reuben. I'm one of the pastors at Riverbank Christian Church, uh, a fellow Reformed church just uh, over in Launceston. Uh, and I think it's appropriate. I think I can bring greetings from them, um, even though I didn't ask their permission to do that. But it is lovely to just pop down the road and find more of God's people. And we gather in these local clusters so that we can be engaged in our different communities, but really we are one big church, aren't we? Uh, and uh, we, we think of you guys fondly, and as we pray for God's work in Tasmania, uh, we include you in that and are excited to see what he's doing amongst you. Uh, I'd like to begin uh, with a story of a man who walks out of a restaurant and he's feeling full, and he's feeling content. And then as he walks towards his car parked on the street, he notices that there's someone, a young guy, standing next to it. And then as he gets closer, he realizes that this guy has some keys in his hands. And then as he gets closer, he realizes that this guy has actually just keyed his car. The whole side of the car has two big, long scratches down it, and there's even some flecks of paint on the ground. As he approaches, the young man just stands there. Uh, and then he starts to apologize profusely. I'm so sorry. Well, how should the man respond? He can feel the blood pumping in his head. He can feel that deep sense of anger and injustice welling up inside him. What should he do? He could choose justice. Justice. I mean... At least make sure that the young man pays for what he's done. Uh, maybe make him pay for the repairs at least. Maybe call the police and file a report with them. It's what he deserves, isn't it? We, we all know that. We all have a natural built-in desire for justice. Crimes deserve punishment. Evil can't go unchecked. But justice isn't the only option. As the man stares at his damaged car... And this helpless young man, he considers another response, mercy. 
Mercy would be to say, it's okay. You're free to go. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Now, that doesn't quite feel right, does it? That, that's a bit unnatural. That's a bit foolish, isn't it? But mercy isn't half as shocking as grace. The third option is grace. What would that look like? Well, grace says to the young man, hey, mate, here are my keys. Car's yours. Uh, it's a gift from me to you. I'm going to sign the title over in your name. Also, can I just fill up the tank before you go? And um, if you want to go and get those scratches fixed, feel free to send me the bill because I'd love to just fix that up for you. And um, have a great day. That's grace. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is shocking. Grace leaves you feeling stunned. Now, Kevin Harney, he tells that story in his book, uh, Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. It's a great book on evangelism. It's a really simple story, but I found it to be really powerful, actually. It gives us just a tiny glimpse into the staggering grace of God, which is what we want to be thinking about this morning. We're going to ask the question, what's, what's God really like? And we're going to jump around various passages in the Bible to see what we can learn about God who is gracious, God who is merciful. And I hope that as we do that this morning, we're going to be amazed at the grace of God. And if you're not a Christian yet, whether you're listening online or you're here this morning, if you are only just starting to learn about the God of the Bible, I'm excited for you. Uh, you're in for a treat because the things we're going to talk about this morning, they're so good that you will probably leave here with a grin on your face. But if you've been in church for a while... Maybe even this morning, you sung Amazing Grace without feeling any amazement at God's grace. That is sad, isn't it? We never want to grow tired of God's grace. And so I want to invite you, even right now, to, to switch on, to gear up, say a silent prayer in your heart right now. Lord, please let your grace stir my heart again. Let's get into it. Uh, we've got four points this morning. They all start with E, because that's what preachers do. Uh, the first one we want to look at is the essence of God's grace. And then we want to look at the expression of God's grace. Then we want to look at the extent of God's grace. And then finally, we want to look at the effect of God's grace. So first of all, let's think about the essence of God's grace. Uh, in Exodus chapter 34, God describes himself to Moses with these words, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That is a description of who God is. It's not how He feels on a good day. It's not how He sometimes acts. It's not who He's aspiring to become. 
at His core, in His essence, God is gracious. Uh, Now, over the last few months, uh, my wife, Sean, and I have often found ourselves getting into bed at the end of the day and turning to each other and marveling again at how our little toddler has exposed our hearts. It is amazing how a two-year-old boy can humble you. He is a master of pushing just the right buttons to reveal my inner programming. And I'm ashamed to admit that when you prick me so that I react and show my true colors, grace is not my default. By nature, I tend to meditate on how someone else has wronged me and how I'm right. I tend to defend myself and judge others. I don't have to try to feel offended or angry. That comes naturally to me. I'm good at that. And that is what makes God's grace so amazing, is that He doesn't just manage to suppress His anger and and then squeeze out a little bit more patience for these kids are really driving Him crazy. Grace comes naturally to Him. It flows from Him. Why? Because it's who He is. Uh, We read Ephesians 2 just before. And you might remember verse 4, which talks about God who is rich in mercy. Uh, In his beautiful book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says, God is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to grow greater, not less. What does it mean for God to be merciful? It means He's compassionate. It means that when He sees our sin and our suffering and our pitiable condition, He cares deeply. Our mess doesn't push Him away, it draws Him closer. Justice is when we get what we deserve. Mercy is when we don't. But Grace goes even further. Grace is when God showers us with blessings that we don't deserve. Why? Because His his essence, His heart, His very being is profoundly kind and generous and loving. Now, think about our world. Wouldn't you say that those things are rare commodities? We can't believe what we're seeing when a car-keying vandal just walks away. In fact, he doesn't just walk away, but he gets a gift that he never deserved. That just does not happen in our world. But that's, that's God's normal way of operating. And I don't know about you, but I, I need to be reminded of that every single day because it is so counterintuitive. It's not who I think God is. It's not how I expect Him to be. I expect God to be a stickler for the rules and to constantly be disappointed with me and to just always be running short of patience. But the theme song of the Bible is quite the opposite. Our God is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's our first point, the essence of God's grace. It's actually who He is. 
But now second, let's think about the expression of God's grace. The expression of God's grace. See, we've just said that God's grace is almost too good to believe. Maybe we wonder if God is all talk and no substance. What would this grace look like in practice? Well, we, we actually don't have to wonder because grace isn't just a thing, is it? Grace is a person. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be full of grace. Touching lepers that no one wanted to go anywhere near. Taking the time to hold a a dribbly baby. Patiently teaching people who took years to get it. Eating dinner with homeless people and strippers and white-collar criminals. God's grace isn't abstract. It has a face. And this is so important to get. His face reflects the very likeness of God. This is key. The person of Jesus shows us God Himself. So we should never read a story of Jesus in the Bible and go, yeah, yeah, what a nice guy. Really nice guy. No, Jesus came to make the Father known, John chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1. He is the exact representation of God's being, Hebrews 1. And it's not as if Jesus shows God's grace to us in some kind of impersonal way, like you're watching it on a movie screen. No, Jesus is God's grace to us. Jesus is the channel through which God's grace is pumped into our lives. Uh, Ephesians 1, which Patrick read at the start of the service, says that the Father has freely given us His glorious grace in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God that He's lavished on us. So it's all through Jesus. Which means that I I need to give a warning here. Please don't think that God is just forgiving and gracious in some kind of vague, general way, like His grace is just kind of floating in the air. It's not enough to be a pretty good person to sometimes meditate and get in touch with your spiritual side. God's grace is specifically expressed in His Son, Jesus. And you need to put your faith in Jesus in order to be saved. It's only in Jesus that justice is done as He dies to take the punishment that we deserve. It's only in Jesus that that mercy flows to us as our sins are forgiven and washed away. And it's only in Jesus that that we are showered with grace. So first we saw that God is grace. It's His essence. 
Second, we saw that God's grace comes to us in Jesus. He's the expression of God's grace. Now, third, we want to consider the extent of God's grace, the extent of God's grace. What is the extent of God's grace? How far does it reach? I'm not sure it's possible to overstate this. God's grace and mercy is the source of every single good thing that we enjoy now and forever. God's grace is the source of every single good thing that every single person anywhere ever enjoys now and forever. Every person alive today, not just Christians, are constantly experiencing God's grace and mercy. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Uh, In Luke 6, Jesus calls us to be merciful, just as our Father in heaven is merciful. It says He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Uh, Theologians will sometimes call this common grace. Because we all sin, we all deserve to die. Yesterday, really. None of us have any right to be breathing right now. But God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. God is like a waiter. Uh, and he's coming around to this group of people, and he's, de- he's serving them delicious food and drinks. And as he does it, they are out loud, without any shame, gossiping about how much they hate the waiter and, and the food that he brings them. Why does God shower good things like, like sunshine and beer and friendships and music on his enemies to reveal his astounding grace and to give people a chance to turn back to him. We see this in Acts chapter 14. Paul urges the unbelievers in Lystra to turn back to God and he says this, God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. That's common grace. But there's more. Because to some, to the elect, to those whom God chooses for no discernible reason other than His free and mysterious will, God not only gives common grace, but He also gives saving grace. And this is the grace we receive in Jesus And it is amazing grace for so many reasons. For one thing, it's amazing because of who it is given to. Do you remember Ephesians 2 verse 1? As for you and me, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Dead. Uh, Listen to how Dane Ortland describes this. He he puts it better than I could, so I'm going to read a a longer quote, if you'll allow. He says, Christ was not sent to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people. 
or advise confused people, or inspire bored people, or spur on lazy people, or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. Paul is not speaking of sin in the way we often do. I messed up. I made a mistake. I'm struggling with dot, dot, dot. Our sins are less like an otherwise healthy man, occasionally tripping up, and more like a man who is disease-ridden from head to foot. Sin was not something we lapsed into. It defined our moment-by-moment existence at the level of deed, word, thought, and yes, even desire. Dane Orton goes on, We not only lived in sin, we enjoyed living in sin. We wanted to live in sin. It was our coddled treasure, our golem's ring, our settled delight. In short, we were dead, utterly helpless. End quote. God's grace is amazing because of who it is given to. But it's also amazing because of what we receive. We were dead, but Ephesians 2 verse 5 says that God has made us alive with Christ. In Christ, we are, we are completely forgiven. His righteousness becomes ours. We're adopted into His family, and we're given new hearts that actually desire good things, that actually love God. What do we have to do to receive that? What do you have to do to receive that this morning? Verse verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Everything, even our faith, is a free gift from God. That's the definition of grace. It is undeserved and free. That brings us to our fourth and final point. We've looked at the essence of God's grace. We've looked at the expression of God's grace. We've looked at the extent of God's grace. Now, we want to finish by considering the effects of God's grace. The effects of God's grace. What effect does it have in our lives? Well, the short answer is it changes everything. I mean, for starters, it amazes us, amazing grace. It makes us burst out in praise. Again, the start of Ephesians, which we read at the start of the service, it begins with this joyful cry, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like, like the criminal who receives a hug instead of punishment. Like the naughty kid who receives a treat instead of timeout. Like the cheating husband who comes home to a beautiful home-cooked meal. Grace is unsettling. And that's the point. Grace is designed to get our attention and cause us to marvel. It makes us look up 
and marvel at the one who is enthroned in heaven. But it doesn't just amaze us. Grace goes on then to change us. How could it not? How could God's grace not soften our hearts? Not, not humble us, not make us want to follow a God like that. Uh, this is why in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What's the result? This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. It goes on to say, Jesus is purifying a people that are His very own eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. This is the effect of God's grace in our lives. It makes us eager to show grace and mercy just like our Father in heaven. And let me tell you, that does not come naturally. We are living in a world of constant outrage and disagreement. A world where we love, but only until we are betrayed. A world where we speak kindly until they express a view that offends us. A world where we help others, but only until it starts to cost us significant time and money. And it's in that world that God calls us to be a people of grace, just as He is a God of grace. Not just honest, not just fair, not just kind, not just decent, but outrageously generous, remarkably patient, endlessly forgiving. In her book, In His Image, uh, this is what Jen Wilkin says, Christians should not have a reputation for merely being fair, we should have a reputation for playing favourites with everyone except ourselves. Our lives should demonstrate there is no such thing as scarcity when you are a child of God, that our Heavenly Father has given all that is needful and much more than we could ask or imagine. We should be recognised as peddlers, as salespeople, in abundance. And if we lived like that, I think we would stand out. People would ask, who are these Christians who stand up for victims of domestic abuse and love and care for those with AIDS and work tirelessly to find the cure to cancer? and come alongside those with disabilities and advocate for justice and speak out against racism, who show compassion to Indigenous Australians and everything they've been through, who visit the elderly in aged care homes, who feed the homeless, who create sustainable solutions to poverty and unemployment, who care for the environment, who help drug addicts without judgment, who write letters to those in prison, 
who, who befriend refugees, who foster and adopt children, who mentor young people as they're struggling through school. The list could go on. Who are these Christians? What happened in their lives to make them like this? That's, that's the effect that God's grace has on us. It, it amazes us. It transforms us. And now lastly, it, it drives us to tell others about Jesus. Building relationships with unbelievers. Reading the Bible with them. Having spiritual conversations wherever we can. Not reluctantly, not robotically, but, but with a, a sense of joy, an infectious joy that comes from someone who has experienced something amazing. In, in the book, Organic Outreach for Ordinary People, Kevin Harney writes, Some followers of Jesus seem to be obsessed by the bad news of sin. They want to dwell on the penalty of sin and the reality of hell. Now, now, Hani does go on to say that those things are, are absolutely true. They can't be ignored. But this is his point. He says, we must always remember that our primary message is not the bad news of hell, but the good news of God's grace offered in Jesus. Well, I, I think if you're like me, there are a lot of challenges in all of that. But we don't need to be discouraged because our Savior is patient and gentle with us. All we need to do is continue in grace uh, to receive it and reflect it, to celebrate it like we're doing here this morning, and then to go out and share it however we can. It starts with us. I, w- I wonder if God's grace is the song that gets stuck in your head when you're lying in bed trying to go to sleep at night. I wonder if His mercy is the thing that makes you smile as you wake up in the morning and start your day. Uh, like a dog that shakes water on everyone after swimming at the beach, we should swim and splash in the grace of God so often and with such enthusiasm that onlookers can't help but get drenched. What's God really like? He is ridiculously, eternally, amazingly gracious and merciful. Let's pray to Him now and and praise Him for this. Great God, we do praise You and thank You for Your grace, which is absolutely abundant because it's who You are. We praise You because it comes naturally to You. We thank You for sending Jesus to earth, the expression of Your grace, the proof of it, and that through His death on the cross, our sins are washed away, our guilt is removed, 
the penalty of hell that we deserve is gone. And we walk free. And not only do we walk free, but we walk free with arms laden with gifts. Pulling a trailer of spiritual blessings that we can't even count or carry. That will be with us for eternity as we live with you forever. And get to bask and enjoy the glories of your grace for eternity. We thank you, we praise you, Lord, for what you have given us in Jesus. And we pray that this grace would transform us and make us a light here in Olveston for you. That our lives would get attention, not because they're showy, but because they're humble and generous and Christ-like. Lord, for anyone here who has not yet grasped the depths of your grace, for anyone who still feels that perhaps they have sinned too much for you, that there are things in their past that you cannot fix, for those who feel that you are frowning on them, disappointed in them, that you are distant from them, we pray that this morning you would break into their hearts and persuade them of your grace, that you would wash away all their sins